All right, are you, are you ready for our um, disclaimer about strong language? Oh, yeah, I can do one. Tell me when you're ready. Oh, I've, I've got a special one today. Ah, okay. This podcast contains strong language. But thanks for uh, listening. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Do your knighthood today, Richard? Oh, I get knighted. You ain't got a really sharp sword, do you? It's probably like a butter knife, ain't it? How do you feel about a visually impaired man putting a sword next to your neck? Well, considering that I'm blind, I won't see it coming. And my AC would be like a one, you know? We gather here today. Tonight, Richard. The Richard the what? What would you call yourself? Well, Jesse calls me Richard the First. I don't know why, but that's what he does. Okay, we're here tonight. Richard the First. Uh, Knights of the Brow for his services to the blind community and the nerd community. All you filthy nerds out there that are listening to this, that Richard has been helping out and helping our community at large. Thank you very much, Richard. You're most welcome, sir. Please point that somewhere else, though. Silence, man! <laughs> yes, sir. Kneel! I, oh, okay. I take a kneel. By the power invested in me by no one, I hereby knight you, Sir Dick the First. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I was laughing there. <clears throat> Am I allowed to say thank you? (laughs) It is very serious. I I appreciate it. Now I am Sir Dick here. Sir Sir Dick the first. Yes, the the dickish. Oh, that is good. I mean, of course, it is good because you say it is good, and I will listen to the All Father, for He guides us all. Rise, Sir Dickish, and now you are officially. A Knight of the Braille. How do you feel now that you're a knight, Richard? Well, I would like like a, a band-aid or something because you, you, you cut my neck just a little bit. That's all right. It'll heal. It'll be fine. You're a big boy. I, I, I take a healing potion. <laughs> we, <laughs> we're trying to make ourselves classy here, but, you know, yeah, Knights of the Brow is a, a community effort and everyone's a knight here and a member. And, you know, if you ever want to contribute or do anything, guys... Just let us know. Jump in. Do whatever you want. And uh, Richard does a lot behind the scenes, um, even running our Facebook group for us. So I wanted to do a little ceremony just to uh, officially say thank you very much, Richard. You've, you've been a huge help, man. Ah, uh, by all means. You know, I love doing it, helping out other people. And, yeah, I mean, it's all in fun. And, and you put up with the abuse as well, mainly you know. for me and Jesse. I'm going to blame Jesse somehow for you cutting my neck with that plastic sword. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about him while I was holding it, so maybe, yeah, it's his fault. But today, let's <laughs> jump into things. <laughs> Blaming for Jesse and knighting Richard's uh, dick the first, the dickish. We're going to go into a couple of updates from myself and Richard. Um, for me, I'm running a Wrath and Glory campaign which is a Warhammer 40,000 game Um, it's going to be on the 17th of December 7pm Eastern Standard Time, there's going to be 3 to 4 sessions, they're not 
every Thursday. It's just whenever everyone can meet up after. And one of the players isn't able to make it now, so we have a spot that's opened up. So if you're interested in learning how the Wrath and Glory game works, if you're interested in learning a little bit about Warhammer 40,000, you don't have to have any prior knowledge. Uh, the characters are pre-made. Just come along and have fun. We also have uh, Killian, who's in the Discord in the games chat. So control K type uh, hashtag games and jump there. Uh, Killian's looking for players for a game. Um, there's no set date yet. He wants to do it on Fridays or Saturdays as a mini campaign. And it seems like he wants to run it around 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So jump into the games chat and talk to Killian if you're looking for more information on that. Uh, Richard, do you have any announcements this week? Um, I was going to advertise that I had like some spots available for the Star Wars 5e on December the 4th, but it uh, filled up like extremely quickly after I announced it. So I created two extra spots which have also filled up extremely quickly. So that will be on December the 4th. Uh, they will be level uh, 4 or 5 characters, I think. Uh, I'd have to look back at my notes on that. Um, but it will be fun. They will be heading to a Jedi temple on Corolla. Uh, you know, like the car, Toyota Corolla. You know, that's where the name <laughs> came from in my head. Uh, and they will be trying to prevent some kind of disaster happening there. And Jim will be playing in it as well. He doesn't know yet that he'll be dying in it, but he will be playing in the one shot <laughs> as well. I will. I'm going to play as a Jawa <laughs> no, well, I, engineer. I'm really looking forward to it. It's it's the 5e system for Star Wars is like a lot of fun, man. I can't wait. So we'll definitely um, give our feedback on it as both uh, the GM from Richard's perspective and the player from mine and and let you know we we think of it um yeah i'm really excited for that but i really look forward to running it um it's got me thinking about doing a campaign in the star wars universe but you know i must hit my head about three or four more times before i decide to actually run a campaign in that universe yeah it'd be tough because it's basically homebrew at this point you know and i don't want to I mean, that's a lot of extra work. Yeah, trying to put together a homebrew for sure. I mean, but of course, you know that as a, as a DM, it's, it's a lot of extra work. But it is rewarding at the same time. It is, yeah. I think, I think for the foreseeable future, after I finish my big campaign, I'm either going to run adventures or mini campaigns just so I can get a break in between, you know? Exactly. Oh, that and you have to put up with me and Jesse in a in a session. I mean, that's that's just absolutely horrible. It's pretty unbearable, but you know, I get through it every week, so that's fine. Yeah, yeah, we, we do our best to make it enjoyable for you. Now, you guys are a great group. Um, it's it makes a big difference when people interact and people get involved in the game. It makes such a big difference. Yeah, and you know. <clears throat> If you're up for it, I wouldn't mind talking about that a little bit today, you know, once we get over our other introductory and stuff, because I think that's extremely important. Yeah, absolutely. That can be uh, our final topic before book recommendations this week. And this week, we're going to keep it light. I know it's been a bit heavy lately. I know Richard's tired today. So yeah. we've got... <laughs> three things we want to talk about which is our favorite dnd stuff so our favorite creature and our favorite spell and then the funniest thing to happen to us in a dnd &D game or campaign and then we'll end up with player engagement and then maybe go into some off-topic stuff so richard um do you have a favorite creature there there's actually a couple i i couldn't go with just one you know, I, I tried. Disqualified. Yeah, I know. I'm used to it, though, so it's no big <laughs> deal. <laughs> um, and I really got to thinking about this because, I mean, I've played for roughly a year now, a little, little over a year. But 
my favorite monster because I mean this is actually a monster is the dragon because you get so many different variables of it and I've loved dragons ever since I was little you know the the, the fact that they're ugly but to me that makes them beautiful you know you, you get the red the green the gold there's silver you know there's so many different ones that you can go with there that they and, and that they're so in lack of a better term badass you know and I don't consider them you know all evil because they are some good ones but they are a monster but my my other favorite and Jim will laugh at this and probably most of you who are listening will laugh at this the spider the spiders, the spiders <laughs> in the D&D universe, when you look at them, are badass. I mean... Well, let's let's do the caveat here. Are we talking about, you know, a giant spider, a swarm of spiders, uh, some kind of, you know, drow, cross? What, what are we talking about here? Just the basic regular spider, which can grow into the giant spider. Okay. Because they have the claw attack with the poison, they can grapple you. They can hang upside down, like from the ceiling. And name me one character who, every time they walk into a room, looks up. Mm, that's a good point. <laughs> Although, you know, there's always that thing in role-playing games where you're like, something drips on your shoulder, and then the player thinks for a moment, "Do I want to look up?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of like uh, the alien. RPG that you ran for us and <laughs> uh, there's something dripping on your shoulder uh, and you know like instinctively you look up like what's that and then you're like oh shit I wish I had not looked up a, a good role player will, will somehow go with it but if you want to be a dick about it you can just be like I immediately leave the room and don't look up <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're the coward in the group like, yeah. <laughs> I, I just suddenly remember I left a coffee pot on you know I need to go turn that off uh, but I, I love that aspect because, you know, very rarely does anybody look up at the ceiling. And if nobody does and you're in the DM, uh, there's all of a sudden like 10 spiders up there, you know. And, and it's a random encounter if they haven't had one in a while. You know, and, and with that said, I guarantee you, Jim, Wednesday night, whenever they walk into a room, I guarantee you one of them looks up. I, I can almost guarantee it now. <laughs> it's like but, doing an insight check every time. Hey, you uh, you meet a new NPC, insight check. Yes. <laughs> uh, except for me, nobody really gets me to do the insight check. I think I'm, I'm just, just an untrustworthy bastard, to be honest. I, I Which think will come up later. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I mean, I love them because they're so they're so useful. You know, and, and and they're fun. Yeah, I I agree. Like, um, I really like the idea of spiders because they can crawl crawl all over the place, and you could always just turn them into a mob. You know, just throw them into a mob because uh, they've got like one HP, right? So you can have like twenty of them, and the players are just hacking through them. They, you know, they can give them resistance to um, like piercing damage and stuff like that as a swarm. Um, so yeah, spiders are pretty good to um, manipulate into using them in different ways. Exactly. I think dragons are underrated too. The last time I threw a dragon at my party, it was one of the more memorable battles for them. Like interesting monsters are always a memorable battle, but dragons are, you know, the names in the title and everyone forgets about them. I think that's a good. Um, cool because you know every time you fight a dragon you remember it because it's usually pretty tough uh, and usually they can be quite a deadly encounter um <clears throat> which leads me you know if something else as long as Jim doesn't mind me taking over here for a minute I actually found a very accessible tool this past week whenever I was working on the one shot from the Star Wars it's a D&D encounter like table but it calculates whether your encounter is going to be easy medium hard or when i first tested it deadly so you know i had to had to back it down 
<laughs> backing down a little bit from that. So, you know, I will give him the link to that, you know, and yeah. <clears throat> so he can give that to everyone else. You know, but but definitely, you know, check that out. And I was just putting this in for for giggles sake, everyone that's on Wednesday night. I was not saying I was throwing a dragon at you all, but I just looked in there at their stat levels and, you know, their the level that they are and put in a, a dragon and it said deadly. So I was like, huh. The dragons it, are it's really a cool. great thing to yeah, throw at them. they are. And... You can always find different ways to do it. When I had my players um, fighting the dragon, they were in the shadow fell actually flying. And because of the fog, they could could only see like 60 feet around them. So the dragon was flying in and out of the fog and attacking them. Like, And then it creates another layer of suspense. If, if the CR of a creature is low enough that your players are not going to be challenged by it, you can always put things into the encounter to create um you know an obstacle i mean i don't mean just throwing a wrench in the works to be like you can't do that you can't do that but setting it up beforehand you know my players had been in that environment for a couple of sessions already they knew they could only see 60 feet so you know just throwing stuff at them and and seeing um if you can make things more challenging if it's too easy for them it is always good oh and you know and if it's way too easy Oh, another dragon. <laughs> that's, that's a good idea. Yeah, just double up. So before we go on to spells, um, and before we go on to my favorite creature, um, I'll make another accessible um, tool available. Um, it's called Cafe Random. You can chat on there. And you can roll dice and stuff. They've got Dungeons and Dragons section. So um, if you have a friend who, um, you know, can't necessarily play with a microphone um, and you want to do a text-based adventure, um, but you don't want to do it over Discord, Cafe Random might be cool to jump in there. There's other people you can chat to about D&D that are blind or visually impaired. So um, check that out. I'll put a link to Cafe Random as well. Um, speaking of me being manipulative and awful in my D&D games, Richard, my favorite creature, can, can you can you guess what it is? Hmm. Uh, lycanthrope. No, it's, it's the ultimate badass that's always been my favorite creature. It's the Mind Flayer. Oh, that is a good one. I did think about it. I did think about that one. It's a it's a great creature. I used it in my campaign, and I misused it actually, which I'll talk about as well. I I did one thing with the mind flare, which I was really happy with, and then to be honest, uh, I didn't play it hard enough in combat. I went easy and I pulled punches on the players, and, and it should have been a lot tougher. And I didn't push it because I I didn't want to wipe the party, but I should have just gone for it, just killed them. <laughs> <laughs> just whoever's alive is alive at the end i think that was the lesson i took from that when i ran a mind flayer was that i if if the creature is you know a fair level which for the mind flayer a party of six if they're level three or four they should be able to handle it like and with a challenge and if the dice are going in your favor as the dm don't pull punches just go for it and you know the pie will have more fun and, and more memories out of it if you go that way. So that's a lesson I learned from running the Mind Flayer. I I really like the um, uh, the fact they can eat people's brains. <laughs> it's, you you usually extract brain action when a player is down. That it it does like 10d10 damage or something crazy like that. Yeah. And it basically kills them, takes their brain out, and. You know, there's there's no coming back from that. So uh, the mind play is great for that. But in a role play perspective, it's great as well because, you know, it can manipulate you psychically. It can get into your thoughts. It can speak through your brain. I did a thing with the mind flare which I enjoyed, which was where I took things that each character wanted from their life and I put them into this dream world and I presented them the things they wanted and if they took it, 
a tentacle would come down and grab them by the head and they they disappear and the rest of the characters would be left to continue into the next person's dream desire and see if they accept it or not and then when they came out of it they're in this mind flayer layer and the ones that have accepted it have tentacles on their heads and the others are trying to pull it off and they're trying to fight the mind flayer that was a lot of fun to do i think i should have just made the combat more challenging but the mind flayer is great great enemy everyone should check it out and try it in your campaign because it, it can i i got it to even pose as a god at one point against um one of my players and talk to them they figured it out pretty quick but um it was is at least an interesting way to introduce it i i, I really like them have oh, you uh, encountered them much richard i have not encountered one at all yet uh, other than like just reading you know the books and all and while you were talking, I was thinking, you know, if it like tried to go into my head, it'd be like, uh, I'm still hungry. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I have, I have not encountered one, but would love to. What's really creepy in the lore is that when they suck brain out of your head, they do it through like your nose or through your eye socket and stuff like that. It's really horrific. It's like I've, like I was saying, dude, like, do mine and be like oh, shit I'm I'm still hungry you know <laughs> but yeah c- could you imagine that and think about it like for a second in real life something like sucking your brain out through your nose or through your eye creepy you know but it's awesome at the same time as long as it's somebody else and like not you but <laughs> I definitely get, definitely got to throw one of those in, into the campaign yeah for sure um and yeah, the the mind player still being hungry reminds me of the zombies going up to Homer in The Simpsons and knocking on his head, being like brains and walking away. <laughs> and yeah. The cool thing, the cool thing about the mind flayer as well, um, spoilers for pop culture. Plug your ears for five seconds. Um, the last season of Stranger Things fre- featured um, references to mind flayer. And I know the new Baldur's Gate video game has it as a bad guy, so I'm looking forward to um, hearing about how they use it as a bad guy. Um, maybe give us some ideas for campaigns would be really cool. Oh, yes. Um, that's another one of the campaigns that I'd love to play in, but don't know that I have the mental capabilities to run one of that uh, magnitude, but definitely would love to play in it. Yeah, Mind Flayers would definitely be pretty tough i mean level three to four you could get a good mini campaign you know against the mind flayer that's maybe taken over a city and has a bunch of you know mindless husks serving it that'd be pretty cool maybe you'd do something with that but before i go on any more about mind flayers richard <laughs> what's your favorite spell magic missile without a doubt <laughs> uh, oh i hit yeah, I mean, automatic hit. How can you beat that? Yeah, you only get one D four plus one damage, but I mean, you get three missiles. You know, that's a guaranteed at least six points of damage, and, and it's not much. But even at like, if you're casting at eighth, ninth level, it's still a guaranteed hit. That doesn't change at the level that you cast it at, but. You know, a lot of people, I think, personally overlook Magic Missile. You know, like, oh, that's just a wimpy spell. Well, damage-wise, maybe, but guaranteed hit, what, 120 feet away? You know, why would you not? Well, that's the trade-off, right? Is that you, you don't take a gamble and you get that guaranteed small amount of damage rather than, you know, taking taking a risk with the witch bolt and landed it on them and then electrocuting them with it for turn after turn while you concentrate uh, rather than magic missile where it's just like you know ah, i'll just keep hitting them with it but i i personally think it can add up to quite substantial damage it can <clears throat> because the max damage it can be let's see is what 12 13 14 15 would be your max damage at level one I mean, yeah so i mean the a character or creature that's 150 hit points that's 10 percent of their hit points gone 
Exactly. You know, at, at the first level spell. And I'm not going to do the math because I absolutely hate math, but if you were to cast it at, say, like, 8th or ninth level, I mean, that's a that's a ton of, of damage there. And, that, and that's the number you can tell your DM. That's a ton of damage. You know? Because <laughs> he's not going to want to calculate it. Yeah, I, I, again, a creature or character, 150 hit points, you could do roughly a third of their hit points could be wiped by a, a powerful magic missile. And that's why I say it, it's my favorite. I mean, I do have a close second, but magic missile beats it. I don't think anyone could argue with magic missile. I mean, it is it's a good spell. What what's your second favorite though? Ah, chromatic orb. Ooh. Uh, have you ever used it? I haven't. I've had players use it in my games, but I've never used it myself. Uh, three d8 worth of damage, and you get to choose. Like from eight different types, I believe six to eight different types of damage. So first level spell, and you could get a max of twenty-four damage. So, I mean, granted, you you know the the dice have to be your friend, which they are like never mine. You know, whenever I'm actually playing, <clears throat> but twenty-four max damage. Oh yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, once you get into resistances immunities and weaknesses that could make a big difference change in the damage type right right you know um and in my local session we faced a dragon who was immune to acid so Ah. you know change it up to to cold or change it up to um excuse me the dragon was immune to poison so i can change it to acid and uh, he took damage then but if I cast it at poison, he would take none. Yeah, that's so, the I mean, thing. You could keep changing the damage type to see if it does additional damage. And then when it does, you're like, okay, boys, it's a mu- it's a weak to electricity. Blast it. Yeah, like, you hook the battery up. We good. <laughs> <laughs> it could get you some. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that, those are my two favorite, but... I mean, Magic Missile beats Chromatic Orb every day. But uh, what yeah. about you, Jim? What's your favorite? Well, I'm on low-level spells as well. Um, to be honest, I've never really used levels uh, 7, 8, or 9 spells because, you know, who really gets to that level in a campaign with the characters, man? It's it's crazy. <laughs> and some of the first-level spells are the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But my, my favorite spell has everything that I enjoy about certain spells in Dungeons and Dragons that it gives a good opportunity for role playing. It has a good mechanical hook to it and it has consequences as well. So all three things that, you know, personally from my perspective as a player or a, a DM I enjoy and that's a charm person first level spell. Ah, I've used it. It's a I great use. spell. I mean, you you have to, you know, um, have the character you're against make a saving throw. Um, you can then figure out narratively how you're going to use it. That could potentially mechanically help you as well. You can use it in combat. Um, you can make it stronger using other spell levels and... My favorite thing about it is that once it wears off, the creature or character knows that you've used it on them. I think that's really cool. Bastard. You charmed me that whole time. I thought well, we were I, friends. I, I've used it as a, as a player and a DM, and I really enjoy it when players use it when I'm the DM because I have to think about, well, how would this work in this narrative for example i had a bard uh who richard's familiar with uh, zedon um and he he wants to be the greatest rock star in the world this bard and (laughs) he used charm person on this 
on this character and the character turned around the character had never heard of him before and then turned around and went I'm your biggest fan I love you man <laughs> what, what do you need me to do and uh, you know it, it was really fun to just turn around this guard who wouldn't let them in somewhere and have him be like oh, I'm your biggest fan and whenever they met someone else the guard would be like how have you never heard of this guy he's like the greatest rock star of all time <laughs> uh, I was thinking about the time that I used it with um Draco before he became like evil incarnate you know uh Usually on the goblin was like, yeah, you remember that time we we went drinking in Neverwinter? <laughs> no, I don't. We're not allowed in Neverwinter. Yeah, you was. You got drunk and passed out. I, I did. <laughs> yeah, and you give me the keys and told me how to get into the cave. I, I did. Yeah, I did because we're like best friends, you know. Oh, uh, it it was hilarious how it played out, you know, but. Which, That's which, another which, good way to use it. Is, is to sort of manipulate them into thinking what what you need out of them by using charm person. That's a great idea. I mean, it, it was fantastic, you know, because you can get all kinds of of information out of them that that you may not could get any other way. Because they're, I mean, they're usually hostile to you, you know. So once you charm them, then they're like, oh yeah, we're best friends, and I'll tell you everything. I don't know the, why we're best friends, but all of a sudden we are. The problem I've started finding in D&D, and this could be like an ongoing thing now, I, I think this is going to become a big issue in the next few years because I know the community is very hot on this sort of um, social justice type stuff at the moment, that whenever I run a game now, people feel bad about killing goblins and kobolds and, and rats and stuff. They you know it's no longer that oh they're a bad guy and i got to kill them it's like but they're weak and i'm just murdering them <laughs> i feel like people right. have developed too much of a conscience now <laughs> and i fully agree and that's a whole different topic you know but it's like well is the dragon misunderstood i mean because he's he's all mad all the time and pouring all this gold like scrooge off of a christmas carol you know why is he so misunderstood yeah, that's the thing. But is you build I, I mean, up I get narrative. exactly what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. You 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 build up the story for characters, and everything has to have a purpose. And therefore, the dragon must have some kind of motivation as to why he's evil, and he's not just an inherently bad creature. Um, and it it does create the situation where I wonder how long combat will exist in Dungeons and Dragons the way it is especially with the next edition and that's why i'm looking forward to running a warhammer 40k game soon and jumping into that because everyone in that universe is evil there are no good guys they're all bad and so who cares if you you shoot someone or do something evil and even in our alien rpg campaign i sort of set up as you guys are marines you can do whatever the hell you want and you did um but with dnd as as things become more about a narrative i feel that the the combat is such a huge part of it and it's gonna sort of get toned down a lot in the next few years i wonder how they're gonna overcome this problem of i don't want to kill the goblin i feel bad for him why am i showing up and wiping out his tribe they're just trying to to make a living by killing everybody else but let let them (laughs) stay alive yeah and i think you're gonna have half that or like for the goblin and again i'm not trying to offend anybody by saying this but you'll have half that are for the goblin and not wanting to kill him and you'll have the old school type that'll be like yeah let, let's just go kill some goblins you know let's go kill some yeah. bugbears and you know I, I think people take things way too seriously it's a game it's meant to be fun i mean i could see a way of it that you know in the witcher style that creatures are some of them are just created as pure mindless evil and then others are used to be human in some capacity and you have to bring them back to their human form to save them i could see that becoming a thing that would be great and that would work but i get what you're saying about you know an old school adventure where it's like you guys are monster hunters and that's your job you're gonna go hunt down some monsters and get rid of them for the local people get some gold 
that's who there is to it. Yeah, it's like um, I was planning this. Uh, supposed to be like a one shot, but it only lasted one week. You know, when this this guy was like, it, "It's it's a nineteen eighties dungeon crawl. Why can't you just go in there, <laughs> get the loot, kill the monsters, go through the traps? You know, why's it gotta be all this moral conjury? You know, why do y'all have to have a conscience? Just, just go in there and get the fucking gold. Is what you, you know. Richard not, is, is referring to when I. <laughs> when i was trying to just run an old school dungeon and everyone started asking questions well why do we have to do this and well why is he so angry and why can't we help these people can we use this location as a safe haven for homeless people afterwards i was like there's no moral just go and kill the creatures and get the gold oh that was priceless i think that's the best part of that little uh adventure was <laughs> the uh, the meta game in there like this is from the 1980s can't you just go kill the monsters get the treasure get the gold and and, and then leave that's that's all you need to do like, no it was why, a lot of fun why are, why are they angry you know <laughs> it was a lot of uh, fun having like an old school dungeon with new D D characters that was a lot of fun oh it, it was great it was great yeah, I mean, what do you guys listening think? Do you think that D&D combat or the bestiary of monsters is going to change in some dramatic way in the next few years due to the sort of socially conscious approach that people seem to have towards role-playing games? Do you enjoy that approach? Or, you know, do you enjoy just going in and, and fighting monsters? Or do you enjoy a bit of both? Like, I know I'm, I'm personally, I enjoy both, like, you know... I want a game where I can just go and fight stuff and then I you know I enjoy games where there's a there's a story to it and there's more than meets the eye. What about you Richard? Yeah, that's what you know I was just thinking I enjoy the the going in and you know facing you know a, a bad and and as you continue playing they increasingly get bigger and badder, you know like you go from a goblin to a to a bugbear from a bugbear to a, you know something else that's a little bit higher all the way up yeah i enjoy that aspect of it i enjoy the role-playing aspect of it as well and for me personally i think to have the ideal game for me it's it's an equal balance of both role-playing and you know stabby stabby as we say i think you got to have both to make it enjoyable but you get a lot of people in the community and by the community i mean like the D players you know not necessarily here on knights of the braille but that's all they want to do is dungeon crawl after dungeon crawl after dungeon crawl you know just to build up xp kill the monsters grab the treasure and there's very little actual role playing involved it's it's basically just rolling dice seeing if you hit and kill the monster and to me that's that's just not fun because you have no chance to build up your character like roleplay wise you build up the stats and the inventory and all and while that is cool it's it's not the focus of the game for me i think it needs to be balanced yeah i enjoy stabby stabby but you know i think we're in a unique situation where we have no visual cues for combat and so there there is less strategy there's no there's no going around that you know we we don't get to include the strategy that is involved in the the player's handbook or the dungeon master's guide because you know we just don't have the option of doing that the way that we play and i have expanded our combat zone rules that i put as an alternative um which i'm going to upload in the next month to try and accommodate that but you know it is tough you know like using combat zones is easy like the center of the battlefield is zone one and then where do you want to move? You're moving to uh, two zones north or two zones south or, or whatever. And, and now you have an understanding of where everyone is and it's just using a compass and numbers. But there, that's still not enough strategy to um, compete with what some people are able to do through the visual approach to combat, you know? Well, and, and Jim, you know, it's just like in real life, you, you have to take what is given to you and adapt it for your level of disability you know whereas you have like low vision you can still see some of the stuff me where i basically have no vision you know i have to adapt it and try to keep track of it in my head 
because I have so many other different files open with notes and all that it's just way beyond my intellect or my intelligence score to try to, you know, <laughs> keep up with all that because, you know, if I, the dice do not go low enough for my intelligence score. Get so, out of there. You know, take, you, you have to take what's given to you and, and adapt it for you. What, what Jim does with the combat zones, you know, I understand. I like the concept, but for me, being a DM, it doesn't work for me. I'm not as comfortable with it as I am with my method. And nothing, not saying anything, you know, bad about Jim's combat zones, but I'm just not that comfortable with it. You know, other, other people may be, and that's fine. You know, but you have to do what works best for you. Is how I look at everything. I think the more options we have, the better. You know, theater of the mind is, of course, the best option for everyone because describing it's easy enough, right? Combat Zones was for a few players I had who specifically wanted to get into tactics but didn't necessarily uh, or couldn't interact with stuff. You know, I've got low vision and I can see stuff, but it would take me so long to navigate that I'd need help and it would just ruin the game. So I, I personally prefer Theory of the Mind. I use that the most. And, you know, I I probably won't use combat zones unless it's a specific party that wants to do that. Um, with like Wrath and Glory coming up, I'm going to use Theory of the Mind for that. Um, just to keep it simple, I used it for Alien RPG 2. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with Richard, you know, do whatever works for you and the more options the better. Oh yeah, I mean, it's always a good ha thing to have like multiple options, you know, because you can discard those that don't work for you. So, we're going on a bit today, further than uh, I thought we would, but let's uh, wrap up. Um, I mean, we're going to talk about player interaction before we do that, though, Richard, do you have a favorite D&D &D story, a funniest thing that's happened to you in D&D &D as a player or a DM? <laughs> uh, the one about as far as being a DM, I've told about the windmill. Uh, without a doubt, my favorite moment as a DM. Uh, <laughs> and as far as a player, it was... I think my second session in and I had I had used the charm person to charm the goblin that I was talking about earlier and yeah he was my best friend and then he realized that he was not my best friend that he was supposed to stabby stabby me and we had uh tied him up you know and he was not real happy about that so we're going into his tribe's cave and I was going to freeze the river so that we could walk in there stealthily, you know. <laughs> well, that works really good when you don't roll a critical one. Okay. So I rolled the critical one and I was able to freeze the water. Only bad thing was the DM made me slip and fall head first or um, to where only my head was poking out of the water whenever it froze <laughs> so i'm i'm like standing on the bottom of the river but <laughs> frozen you know and my head's poking up out of the ice well the half orc barbarian is on or steps onto the ice and slips keep in mind as i'm describing this all he wears is a wolf head like loincloth well <clears throat> He slips and slides and manages to stop. And if you've ever heard the term teabagging, Draco got teabagged. <laughs> <laughs> and that that has been my favorite moment, the funniest moment to me as a player. You know, I'm sure there's definitely going to be more of them because it's a great local group that we have. But I remember saying as, as Draco, uh, Lug, uh, I think it's time that you take a bath, you know. <laughs> uh, but it, it was hilarious. What, what about you, Jim? Mine is from 
17 years ago when I was 15 years old, um, playing in the science classroom of my high school in, in Luton in England. And um, we'd play after school. No one knew about it because I didn't want to get beaten up. And because um, <laughs> D&D was cool. We couldn't post about it on Twitter back then. Um, so we were playing and we had this character called Spud who was uh, played by our mate Jake. And he was a wizard, but, you know, he didn't act like a wizard because he kept running into combat. Every single time there was combat, <laughs> he was in front of the barbarian, like, I'll take them all. And then he'd get brutally wounded and then we'd have to heal him up. So everyone got fed up with it. The DM got fed up with it. And every time he'd run into combat after that, he'd lose a limb. Sort of like the Black Knight from Monty Python. And it got to the point where Spud had no arms or legs and we had to carry him in a backpack and he could still cast spells because obviously he had all of his, you know, functions. He could talk, he could think and see and hear, but he he was just restricted from, in <laughs> from interacting with the world in any way whatsoever and was in a backpack. And my favorite part was when the character, the barbarian who had Spud in the backpack was running to a temple door that was closing and the rest of us weren't going to make it. So the barbarian said, well, can I take Spud out of the backpack and just use him to stop the door? <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure. So poor old Spud was put under the door and we all ran and jumped under it and then we pulled Spud out. And I think at that point, Jake was like, I, I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> you guys are mean. But, um, yeah, that was my my most memorable D&D moment. That was when I realized to myself that, wow, this game is more than just rolling dice and looking at numbers. It's it's about creating the story and the funny situations yourself, man. Having fun. It is, yeah, man. Fun is number one. And I think new players worry about, I don't know the rules. And it's like, no, just have fun. Don't worry about the rules. Especially with fifth edition, you can make that stuff up. Right, and... um. Yeah, you know, somebody had contacted me about the uh, SW5E and said, well, I don't know anything about that universe. So, you know, I mean, I'll help you through it. You know, do I know it all? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know everything. You know, but, you know, and, and I'm there and, you know, I'll help people through it that don't know anything about it. Well, except for Jesse, you know, we just, that's just Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I mean, that's that's what a DM is for as well, in my opinion, is to help someone through there that don't know it. And if you don't know it, Google is a great resource. Or um, rule number one, make it up. You know? Yeah, the, the rule of cool, man. Yeah, that's what it's about. Yeah, like, you know, I, I know that me saying the next game I'm running is Warhammer 40,000 is going to make people go, oh, man, I don't know anything about that. It's like, well... Just make up a character that you think would be there, that you think would be cool, and you know, just play it. Who cares if it doesn't match up with the stuff already there? Who who gives a crap? Just have yeah. fun. Or uh, talk to uh, Michael and me because you know we had Razor and Rex who went around sniffing anything and everything. Yeah, you know, we had <laughs> we had a space marine with a crew who is an alien hunter. And they were bounty hunters going around the universe. That would never happen in Warhammer 40,000, but it was really fun because um, Michael threw his bolt pistol at someone's head and killed them. <laughs> that was hilarious. Oh, that was a lot of fun, though. That, in fact, that was the first uh, time you ever GM'd for me. Or DM. Well, it's not really a DM. Yeah. Yeah, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, and speaking of like michael being great at coming up with ideas we can talk about the importance of player interaction next week i've got to go and pack some more boxes very soon so um, we'll have to wrap up in a moment um but next week our main topic will be the importance of player interaction um richard do you have any kind of recommendations this week oh i do because there's something really important coming out tuesday I believe it's Tuesday. Whatever could that be? Oh, it's a wonderful new DM tool and lore 
and with player options called Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. I don't think you've ever mentioned it before. I have no, but let me tell you about it then. <laughs> but now it's supposed to come out Tuesday. I cannot wait. Ready to read it and uh, maybe get to imply some of it or impart some of it on Wednesday. We'll have to see, you know, what time I can sit down and read it Tuesday when it gets downloaded. <clears throat> Not that I'm going to try and kill the party or anything. And it will also be available on our Discord. So if anyone wants to pull up any information from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything after Tuesday, it will be available there for you. Definitely going to be worth it. Any other recommendations this week, Richard? Uh, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Okay. Um, I got a book recommendation on the Discord last week for a role-playing book. I haven't had the chance to start it yet, but it's on my list. It's next after Orconomics, which I recommended last week. The book I recommend this week that I read a while ago, and there's a series of it on Audible, is called All Systems Read. And it's about a kill bot in the future who breaks its programming and it just wants to sit around and watch reality TV all day. Um, obviously, it's a bit of a comedy. There's uh, some thriller elements, obviously science fiction. But All Systems Red is a great book. Uh, it's really easy listen and um, great narration and a really fun story. So, yeah, you should definitely check that out. Works for me. I had to give it a shot, too. And yeah. uh, I guess we can close it out, and I'll say I'll hear you next week. If you would like to contact Nice of the Braille, please use the following contact information. Uh, if you'd like to contact me, you can find me at on Twitter at RichardBean83. That's R-I-C-H-A-R-D-B-E-A-N-8-3. You can also email me at DaleJuniorFan83 at gmail.com. That's D-A-L-E-J-U-N-I-O-R-F-A-N-8-3 at gmail.com. And Jim has allowed me to run the Facebook group for Knights of the Braille. You can find us by searching us up on Facebook for under Knights of the Braille. You can also find our website at www.knightsofthebraille.com. You can email us, knightsofthebraille at gmail.com. And you can contact us on Twitter at Braille Knights, which is Bravo, Romeo, Alpha, India, Lima, Lima, Echo, Kilo, November, Indigo, Golf, Hotel, Tango, and Sierra. You can also join us on our Discord, which is linked through our website, and please present any questions there to us if you need help with anything.